0: Um, D.A. Carson, who's a a well-known evangelical New Testament scholar, started one of his books with this question. He said, what is the most urgent need in the church of the Western world today? What is the most urgent need in the church of the Western world today? So, I wonder how would you answer that question? What is the most urgent need of... Western church uh, of the American church that we're a part of today. Um, Carson went on to offer a, a few of what he believed would be the most popular answers to that question um, by American Christians. Um, some would say that th- we have a problem in our churches with greed, um, and so that a need we have would be to be. Um, to have integrity and generosity when it comes to um, money. Some would say that the church's most urgent need is more involvement in social justice issues, while, on the other hand, others would say we need less involvement in social justice issues. Uh, Some would say that we need more and better evangelism, that we've lost our heart for the lost. Still others would say that we most urgently most urgently need more disciplined biblical thinking, uh, more Bible training, more doctrine. Um, And then maybe others would argue that the church in our day has a desperate need for a real, vital corporate worship. So the list can go on and on. Um, What do we believe our churches in America, what do we believe Mountain Fellowship most urgently needs? Um, And so I want to ask you to think about that for a moment. What would you say is the most urgent need of Mountain Fellowship right now? Um, I ask that question because I can assure you that that question is constantly on the mind of your pastor, on the minds of your elders and your deacons, and many of you, I know, just from talking to you. we're, we're, We're continually thinking, What do we need to be uh, and do to be God's people on Signal Mountain? Um, It's an important question. But I wonder if uh, maybe one way to find out what we really think we need as a church uh, is to examine what we pray for the church. Assuming we do. Um, When you and I pray for Mountain Fellowship, for the people that you see sitting around you in the pews, um, what do you pray for each other? What do you pray for us as a body, as a family? Well, I'll confess to you that if I think about the prayers that I have prayed for the churches I've been a part of over the years, I could probably boil it down to this general prayer. God, do whatever it takes to make life in this church easier for me. <laughs> Especially as the pastor. God, do whatever it takes to make life in this church easier for me. Make this church be what I think it should be and do what I think it should do. And I've prayed that as a member of a church, too, not just as a pastor. But when I read the prayers that Paul prayed for the churches, I am ashamed at how different his prayers are from mine. And the same goes for when I pray for individuals. So think about this. What do we pray for each other? What do we pray for our wives and husbands? What do we pray for our kids? What do we pray for our parents, our siblings, our other family members? What do we pray for our friends? What do we pray for our next-door neighbors? Um, I don't want you to hear me when I'm saying praying for the church this morning. I don't, want to, I don't want you to hear me saying praying for this organization that we call Mountain Fellowship because the church is the people. Um, so when I'm saying, talking about what we should pray for the church, look around you. What do we pray for one another? What do we pray for other believers? Paul didn't even know the Colossians. He'd never seen them face to face, and yet he's praying for them. What do we pray for other churches? What do we pray for other believers? Um, When I read what Paul prays for people, again, these are not the typical things I pray for individual people. So uh, Dr. Carson goes on to to speak to this particular issue of how different our prayers are from Paul's. He says, suppose, for example, that 80 or 90% of our petitions ask God for good health, recovery from illness, safety on the road, a good job, success in exams. Some of you needed that this past week. "Um, The emotional needs of our children, success in our mortgage application, and much more of the same. Um, All fine prayers, by the way. But he says, How much of Paul's praying revolves around things like these? If the center of our praying is far removed from the center of Paul's praying, then even our very praying may serve as a wretched testimony to the remarkable success of the processes of paganization in our life and thought. That's a scholar's way of saying if our prayers don't line up with what Paul's praying about, we may be a part of the problem with the church. We may be asking for good things but not essential things. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just inviting you into my conviction this morning, so join me and feeling horrible about what you pray for the church, okay? But God's going to help us. He's going to help us. Um, I mean, Paul Paul wrote this letter from prison. (laughs) And he doesn't say, by the way, could you pray that I get out of here? So as we look at this prayer of Paul, think about it. What is he praying for? He has this one-shot letter to the Colossians. Um, These are the things he talks about. Um, And I know that Paul prayed about the details of people's lives. I mean, he told Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. He cared about people's health. Um, Things like that. It's not that he didn't pray for those things, but his letters tell us what was heaviest on his heart. For God's people. And I wonder if maybe the things that Paul prayed for were things that no sickness or suffering or financial hardship or persecution could ever take away. Perhaps he prayed for things that were deeper and more foundational for their lives. Things that he knew God would do in them no matter what was going on around them. It's my suspicion. And so, uh, as painful as it might be for us to let Paul's prayers expose uh, ours, um, we're going to spend the rest of this series on a praying church for the rest of May, uh, looking at some of Paul's prayers for the church. Uh, today we'll be in Colossians, we'll spend two weeks in Ephesians, and then one week in Philippians. Um, Carson said this, if we learn to pray with Paul, our praying will be shaped by our profound desire to seek what is best for the people of God. And so we'll begin with Colossians, and as we look at this this morning, I want to ask and answer four questions. The first three questions will go pretty quick, and the last one is where we'll spend most of our time. Why should I pray for the church? Why should I pray for God's people? When should I pray for the church? with whom should I pray for the church? And then the big one, what should I pray for the church? So those, uh, those are in your program. If you want to take notes and follow along, that might help you. So let's start with why should I pray for the church according to Paul. when we pray, typically we're praying about something that we're compelled to pray about. We hear news about, uh, an illness or an accident or, or something that's coming up, a job interview, and we, we feel like this is a crucial time to pray. We need to pray right now for this crucial need. Um, I had the privilege of praying a lot on, on Wednesday or Thursday, May 3rd, for um, Jim and Bonnie West as Bonnie was experiencing about 24 hours of labor to get little Evie Lee into the world. She's here. Um, and Jim was giving me play-by-play by text. So I got to pray for them all throughout uh, Thursday. But we pray because things are compelling, or crucial to us. <clears throat> and we need, uh, we need help, we need healing, we need hope, we need God to do something. Um, what made Paul pray, uh, both thanking God and asking God, uh, in his prayers for the Colossians, was that he heard the report that the gospel had taken root and produced fruit in them. So something significant had taken place and was continuing to take place that compelled him to pray. He said, "I always thank, we always thank God when we pray for you since we heard of your faith and your love because of the hope And then in uh, verse 9, he says, from the day we heard about these things that God was doing in you, we have not ceased to pray for you asking these certain things that he lists out. So there's something that was going on in the life of that church. The church had been birthed in Colossae and that was significant. And what was continuing to happen there was significant. It compelled Paul to pray. And then verses 13 and 14, um, when he says that God, uh, Jesus has delivered us, or God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. When we, like Paul, believe that our church has a specific role in his kingdom purposes and plans, we will be motivated to pick up prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie, as John Piper calls it. Lay down prayer as a domestic intercom. Pick it up as a walkie-talkie. And call in support. We, have been, we are people who have been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. The gospel has taken root in us and is beginning to bear fruit in us. We need to depend in prayer on the King, Jesus, who said, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, Paul was compelled to pray because he knew that if this gospel fruit bearing was to continue and to grow and increase, it was not going to happen apart from Jesus doing it. And so... He was compelled to pray. I need to stop praying. God, do whatever it takes to make life at Mountain Fellowship better for me. And I need to start praying. God, do whatever it takes to make Mountain Fellowship what you need us to be, so that your gospel will will increase and bear fruit among our neighbors and the nations and the next generation. That's why we should pray for the church, because it's crucial. There's something going on that we need to depend on Jesus for. When should we pray the church? Well, it's continual. In verse 9, he says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul doesn't even know these people personally. Because we're in a war, we have to be in constant communication with King Jesus, consulting his plans, calling on him for power and provision. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can bear no fruit apart from me, Jesus said. So it requires a desperate dependence, an ongoing, constant cry for help. When should we pray? All the time. With whom should we pray for the church? Paul said prayer for the church should be offered in community. Notice in these verses how many times Paul says, we and us. In verse 3, we always thank God when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, hope, and love. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. Paul is praying with whoever is allowed to be with him under his arrest scenario in Rome. Uh, Timothy was apparently one of them. Epaphras was there with him at some point. Luke's been there. They get together. They pray together. There's something about that. Um, And so I would continue to commend you in your small group times, uh, your Bible studies together, your lunches and coffees together. Pray. And pray for the church. Pray for one another, yes, but but pray together for the church. Um, I'm working on, it's taking me longer than I want it to, but we are going to start a weekly prayer time for Mountain Fellowship. North Shore Fellowship does this every Thursday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. A group of people gather together and they pray about all kinds of things for North Shore and other churches. They pray for us. They pray for this church. They They prayed for me. Uh, I went and visited there a few weeks ago just to thank them for their prayers and to experience that prayer time. And it's sweet. They pray for every member of their church. They take the directory and they pray a sheet of that directory every week until they've prayed through the entire congregation. We are going to do this. I don't know how yet or when yet, but I will let you know. We need to pray together. Now, when we pray, what, what should we pray for the church notice two things i had you circle them in verse three paul said we always thank god when we pray and then he said when we pray we ask we thank and we ask uh carson says this paul links prayers of thanksgiving to prayers of petition The kinds of things for which Paul thanks God are the kinds of things for which Paul asks. These links between Paul's thanks to God and his intercession before God drive us to an extremely important conclusion. Here's what he says. Although we are inclined to pray for people in situations when they have fallen into desperate need, the point here in Colossians 1 is that Paul not only does that, but he also intercedes when there are signs of life and power and grace, for his concern is that such signs should be protected and increased. What he's saying is, Paul doesn't wait for the Colossian church to be in a mess, although he does address a few little issues in his letter, but the things he's thankful for are wonderful things we'll talk about in a moment. This is a great church. And yet he's still compelled that God would protect and preserve and continue the good things that he's done by his spirit in the life of this church. Friends, Mountain Fellowship is a wonderful church. Everything I ever heard about you before I came, every time I talked to somebody in the city who knows you, this is a wonderful, rich, warm church. God-loving, people-loving fellowship. Let's not wait around until something bad happens to keep praying for us, for ourselves here. Because I've been around churches long enough to tell you, it won't take a whole lot to mess it all up. It doesn't take much. And you need to pray for me, because it might be me that messes it up. So friends, let's follow Paul's example and pray for a church that's a great church, but ask God to continue to do the things that we're thankful He's done. Um, in the last church I served, one of our elders uh, was a police is a police officer, and so since he's an officer of the church and an officer of the law, I used to always call him Officer Bill. Um, Officer Bill, I asked him one time, so tell, me about, tell me about aiming a gun. What's the deal with that rear sight on the gun and the forward sight on the gun? Why do you have to have two of those? He said, well, when you're aiming a gun, you have to look through the rear sight to and through the forward sight, otherwise you're going to miss your target, and so and that's just the way it is. Somebody else can explain the the engineering behind it, but what that made me think of here is what Paul is doing. When he's aiming his prayers for this church, he's beginning by looking through what God has done and thanking God for what he's done. That's the rear sight. What has God already done in this church? But he's looking forward to what he wants God to continue to do in this church. Um, That's the forward sight. So he's asking God to continue to do the things he's done, and and so that is how Paul aims his prayers. I, I thought that was interesting. It may not help you at all, but that was free. So let's look real quickly at how Paul took aim with his prayers for Colossians. First, he thanked God, and he thanked God for two things. First, he thanked God for gospel fruit. This is where we'll spend the bulk of our time. Um. He, he thanked God for gospel fruit. He said, the word of the truth, the gospel, you heard it, and now it's bearing fruit and going and growing. And I, I find it fascinating that he calls the gospel the word of truth. Well, it is. The gospel, the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, big picture story of what God is doing and, and will do, is the explanation of reality. It's the only way to understand the world. It's the only story that answers the big questions that we have about life. Uh, Paul said later, it's the mystery that God had given him to make clear to the world. Um, the story started with God saying to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply why because he was asking them to fill creation with beings who were created in his image and reflected his glory this was the way that god planned to cover the face of the earth with his glory was to cover the face of the earth with people made in his image who reflect his glory well we messed that one up pretty quickly but the story doesn't end there god in sending Jesus, is now redeeming for himself a people who when they bear fruit and increase, as Paul says in Colossians 1, will fill the earth with his glory. When the church, because the gospel has been planted and is bearing fruit and increasing, when the church grows and makes disciples, it will spread people who are being renewed in the image of Jesus throughout all creation. That's the gospel story that was planted in Colossae. And Paul says, we thank God that it's bearing fruit and increasing. And and what is the fruit? What kind of fruit does the gospel produce? It produces faith in Jesus, love for all the saints, because of hope. Um, In the program at the bottom of your notes page, I put this quote, I find this pretty helpful. Uh, Jim Peterson says, as we trace these three words, faith, hope, and love, through the epistles, through the letters of the apostles, it becomes apparent that the writers assessed their ministries and the progress of their spiritual offspring with this question, and this is me talking, not the question, how many people did you have in attendance, how big's your offering? But we want to know those things so we can kind of keep track of stuff. But, but those, the apostles, you read their letters, they're not asking or praying for more bottoms in the seats and bucks in the budget. It's not the things, that's not what they're asking for. How do they assess their churches? They ask. How are they doing in the areas of faith, hope, and love? Faith, hope, and love, he says, are the outworking of Christ's incarnation, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, the gospel. The sprouting of these three virtues in the lives of new believers are the first signs of true spiritual life. And when they are in full bloom, all of the other virtues will also be in evidence. So what Paul is concerned about is, do I see fruit on this vine that's been planted? Do I see faith, hope, and love? And so he thanks God that he does see that in these folks. He sees that the gospel has created a people who are Christ-centered. They have faith in Jesus Christ. And people who are on Christ's mission, they have love for all the saints. And they are filling creation with a people who reflect the love of the Trinity. So the gospel then, uh, when it bears fruit and increases, it accomplishes what God originally started in the Garden of Eden. So, Paul thanks God for gospel fruit, and then he thanks God for for gospel farmers, uh, for these gardeners. He mentions Epaphras, a fellow servant who discipled them. Um, This is how, it's through these people that the gospel is sown and watered. As Paul said in uh, Corinthians, he said... um, Epaphras and others who, Epaphras was the one who apparently brought the gospel to Colossae. So what about us? What do we give thanks for? We should give thanks in our prayers to God for the faith, hope, and love that we see in this congregation. I give thanks for that because I see it. We should give thanks for the gospel servants. I know that ESV uses ministers and that tends to make you think of only pastors. No, 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 no. Yes, it includes pastors, but it's the word servant. It's actually the word from which we get deacon. So we as a congregation should be thanking God for all of the men and women that he has used, all of his servants that he has used to plant and water and grow Mountain Fellowship for these six and a half years. So thank God for Robbie Holt. Thank God for Daniel McKinney. Thank God for... Uh, the Herzogs and the Bible study and small group that took place in their living room and the countless others that we could mention of you and others who are not here anymore but who were used by God to plant and water this fruitful congregation. That's part of praying for this church. And then um, Paul not only thanks, but he asks God and what does he ask God for? He asks God for more gospel filling. He says, um, "So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding." Wow, that's a lot of words. What does that mean? Let me just try to boil that down to you. He's asking that you and I may be filled with. Loving, learning, and living in the story of Jesus. Knowledge of God's will. Where does it come from? It comes from this book. And a spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's a phrase borrowed from Moses in in Deuteronomy, which basically means a living out of what you know. He's he's not just asking for a bunch of big-headed academics running around this church. He's asking for people who love the story of Jesus as it's taught in the Bible, who learn the story of Jesus as it's taught in this Bible, and who want to know what it means to live in the story of Jesus as it's taught in this Bible. That's what he wants us to be filled with. The gospel. The whole story. Why? So that, so as to walk, so that you might conduct your life in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now whenever you hear that, worthy of the Lord from Paul, you may think, oh, so that I can uh, live in a manner that earns God's favor and, and grace in my life. Absolutely not. This word worthy means fitting, to walk in a manner that fits with the Lord and what He's done in your life. Um, it's, it's about expressing what the Lord has done in your life, not earning anything from Him. And then what else? To walk fully pleasing so that we could bring Him delight. Isn't that crazy to think that we could delight the heart of God? Paul is asking that our love of the story of Jesus, our learning it, our living in it would help us to delight the heart of God. He goes on, so that we can bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. There's that phrase again. We have been bearing fruit and increasing. He wants us to continue to do that. And notice that it's about progress and produce, not perfection. And then finally, that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Power for what? What? Is this power for us to, to be this fantastic mega church that just sucks up all the people on the mountain and we become, you know, we have a TV ministry. And... No. Huh? I don't want to do that. No, strengthen with all power according to His glorious might so that you can endure and have patience with joy. Well, there are some folks around today who would go, that sounds like surviving, not thriving. But it sounds like to me he's saying we need all his power and his glorious might to survive. For all endurance, that word is a word that means to persevere underneath difficult circumstances. Not take the circumstances away although you can pray for that, but to persevere and endure under them. The word for patience means to persevere in difficult relationships. It means to endure people. This is what Paul is saying that all of this stuff will give us is strength, to persevere under difficult circumstances and in difficult relationships. And it requires the glorious might of God just to do that. So be encouraged, friends. If you are persevering under some very difficult circumstances, it's the mighty power of God that's in you doing it. If you are persevering in the midst of some very difficult relationships, It's because the mighty power of God is at work in you doing it. And then he just throws in there that we do that with joy. Not happy, you know, fake smile joy, but just a joy in knowing that we're not doing this alone, that he is with us and that we give thanks to the Father. So Paul prays and he thanks God for gospel growth, gospel gardeners, gospel filling, gospel farmers. And he asks for more filling and more fruit. I want us to close by praying this prayer. I uh, Larry handed out to you a little piece of paper in which I took this prayer. And uh, or I took this chapter and turned it into... A prayer that you can pray for us as a church, for any other church, for the church at large around the world, or you could pray it for individual people. um, There's fill in the blank there where you can put the name. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray it for Mountain Fellowship, and then I'm going to ask you to pray it for a person in your life quietly. But together, we're going to pray this out loud. And so when we do this, you'll see that I've got your singular uh, personal pronoun, uh, first person pronouns, and your plural. We're We're going to say we and our on all of these things. And when you see a blank, say Mountain Fellowship, okay? So let's pray this for our church. We thank you, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for Mountain Fellowship. We pray that you would increase our faith in Christ Jesus and our love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. We ask that the word of truth, the gospel which makes that hope known, which came to us on the day we heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, would bear fruit and grow in us, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. We pray that the gospel would also bear fruit and grow in the beloved fellow servants and faithful ministers of Christ you have called to disciple Mountain Fellowship, so that we may display your love in the Spirit to our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. And so we do not want to cease to pray for Mountain Fellowship, asking that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of You, Lord, fully pleasing to You, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May Mountain Fellowship be strengthened with all power according to Your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to You, Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Remind Mountain Fellowship and you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom Mountain Fellowship has redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. And now as Chris and his helpers come to, to lead us in our final song, would you just use that same prayer and pray for one person right now. I know there's some of you who, there's some there's a person that's really on your heart today, this morning. Pray this prayer for them. Now, and, and if they're not a Christian, then... By praying this prayer, you're asking God to do what he only does for people who believe in him. So you're asking for God to make that happen too. Um, But uh, quietly pray that as these guys get ready. And I'll, I'll say a closing prayer and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for the reminder from Paul um, that though there are many good prayers that we can pray um, for one another, um, there are some things that are deeply crucial um, that transcend um, physical and um, financial and, and other needs. These are things that are underneath all that so that we can endure um, and be patient with joy in the midst of all the hard things these are these are things that you want to work deep into the hearts of your people and um, I pray that uh, we would perhaps use this prayer as we pray for one another um, whether it's for the church as a whole or whether it's for our spouse or our children or our friends or our neighbors. God, help us um, to be a praying people for your glory, for the world's good, and our gladness we ask in Jesus' name.